One of the things that I find amusing about children, and well, it can also be discomforting at times, is well, how we can see ourselves in them. There's a story about a five-year-old boy named Andrew, and he was showing uh, his picture of his kindergarten class, and, and he was describing the different kids in his class. He's like, well, this is Robert, and he hits everyone, and this is Stephen, and he never listens to the, his teacher. This is Mark. He chases us and is very noisy. And then pointing to himself, he says, and this is me. I'm just sitting here minding my own business. Now, if you had multiple young children, you've seen this phenomenon. They'll be playing and, and having a good time, but then they start aggravating each other. And soon enough, one of the kids will come in and, and tell on his brother or sister, you know, he hit me and I didn't do anything, you know? And so you give them a, you know, a lecture about playing nice with each other. But then a couple of minutes later, the other one comes in and, and she pulled my hair and I wasn't doing anything. Well, we can be the same way. It is so easy to see the problems in others, and completely miss them in ourselves. And then we criticize those faults. We make all sorts of negative assumptions and about the other person's motives and intentions. We judge their faith and we label them with this negative trait or having that character flaw. However, if anyone dares point out those same faults in us, we grow defensive we have our reasons and justifications. You know, people just don't understand or it's it's different for me. Well, as we head into the closing verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals sharply with this problem and even a bit humorously talking about having a, a judgmental, critical heart. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a, a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this passage, at least verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged, is one of the most quoted of all Bible verses. In fact, it may be more well-known today than John 3.16, especially uh, by non-Christians. This is the one verse that even non-believers love to quote. Now, even though this verse may be well-known and often quoted, I think it's one of the least understood of all of Jesus' sayings. Right? People quote this as though Jesus said, do not judge period. They treat it as though it's the only thing that Jesus had to say on the subject, and they throw this quote around 
as though it forbids Christians from making any sort of comment or having any sort of opinion about anything. If the church says anything about morality, here comes the sharp retort. Do not judge. If we confront someone about a, a sin in their life, who are you to judge me? After all, Jesus said, do not judge. If we try to point to a better way, again, the refrain is heard, do not judge. That's what your own Bible teaches. And Jesus himself tells you, you can't judge, so keep your mouth shut. You Christians keep your thoughts and opinions to yourselves because you can't judge. But is that what Jesus means here? Was Jesus teaching that, that we shouldn't make moral judgments, that we shouldn't speak up for the truth, that we shouldn't defend what is right, that we should never point out sin? Absolutely not. And we know that Jesus doesn't mean this because it would then contradict so much of what else he has to say. Even in this passage, down in verse 6, Jesus calls us to make a judgment about not giving what is sacred to dogs and casting our pearls before swine. You can't do that without making some basic judgment calls. Is this a pearl? Are they a pig? Those are judgments. Go a little bit further down in verses 13 and 14, and Jesus calls us to, to judge between the narrow gate and the wide gate, and to choose the narrow gate. Verses 15 through 20, he calls us to be on guard against false prophets. And Jesus says that we can discern or judge between good fruit and bad fruit. And then he calls us to build our lives on the solid rock of his word and not the shifting sands of, you know, doing whatever the heck we feel like doing. And so Jesus calls us to make all sorts of judgments about all sorts of things. And being able to, to make sound judgments is an essential part of the Christian life. We are to be discerning in our decisions, perceptive in what we believe, and, and carefully discriminate between right and wrong. Jesus never meant what many today think he meant. So if Jesus wasn't telling us to shut up and keep our judgments to ourselves, what does he mean? Well, the word for judge here simply means to to evaluate or, or analyze. And it can have all sorts of shades of meaning depending on the context. Here he is referring to somebody who evaluates other people with a critical heart in order to tear them down and build themselves up. When Jesus says, do not judge, he doesn't mean do not think. Jesus is not speaking against sound judgment, but, but against a certain kind of judging. He's speaking against the, the self-righteous, self-serving, unmerciful condemnation of others that was so often practiced by the Pharisees. Bible scholar John Stott remarks that this command is not a requirement to be blind, but a plea to be generous. There's a big difference between the kind of judgment we should have and uh, that kind that has an understanding heart and offers a helping hand, there's a difference between that and the kind of critical heart that Jesus forbids here with a finger pointed in condemnation. 
right? Wrong judgment wants to tear others down. Right judgment seeks to build others up. Wrong judgment serves self-interest. Right judgment is interested in serving others. Wrong judgment is destructive. Right judgment is constructive. Wrong judgment pulls people apart, but right judgment brings us closer together. That's the difference. So how do we guard ourselves from judging with a critical heart? Because I'll be honest with you, that is so easy to do. I mean, it comes to me completely naturally. I, I, I don't have to try. I could just do it. So how do we ensure that we make right judgments that seek not only truth, but also offer grace? Well, Jesus gives us three things here. And the first thing you can do to guard yourself against having a critical heart is to hold yourself to the same standard that you hold others to. We can't have rules for thee, but not for me. What I expect of you, I should also expect of myself. And when we hold ourselves to that same standard that we hold for others, there's much less of a chance of being a, well, a self-righteous, judgmental jerk. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if you don't judge yourself with the same standard, right, you could be absolutely sure that, that someone else will. My daughter, Allison, is studying to be a teacher, so teaching-oriented things catch my eye, and I was looking for an example of this, and I found a website that was aimed at teachers and coaching teachers, and it had this advice. Hold yourself to the same standard uh, that you expect of your students to comply with, to reinforce that those standards exist for a reason, and out of respect for each other and for learning. So, for example, if students are required to show proof of why they are late, then if the teacher's late, right, they need to provide proof, such as taking a selfie, changing their flat tire, or with roadside assistance. Harsh, critical, judgmental people nearly always hold themselves to a different standard that they hold others to. All right, they've got one yardstick for themselves, but a different one for others. And when we hold others to a different standard, it has a way of reflecting back on us. You ever watched a kitten who discovers a mirror for the very first time? All right, they are shocked to find there's another cat who's just as surprised to see them. All right, and this little kitten will, will puff up as big as it can be, and it will arch its back to show that other cat who is boss, right? But the other cat's not intimidated in the least. And so they, they bear their fangs, they unleash their fiercest hiss. And the meaner they get, the meaner that cat in the mirror gets. Life has a way of reflecting back on us the kind of judgment we use on others. All right, so sooner or later, we're going to be measured by our own yardstick. That's why we need to be careful about the manner in which we judge others. It's like the comedian Steve Martin said, never judge a man unless you've walked a mile in his shoes. Then you'll be a mile away and you'll have his shoes. 
But it isn't just that life has a way of reflecting back the kind of judgment that we use on others. Jesus is warning us here that God himself will use our yardstick to measure us. So the same grace, the same mercy, and the same forgiveness that we show others will be shown to us. But we'll also receive the same harsh criticism, the same unfair demands, the same unreasonable cold shoulder. To be quick in judging others is to invite God to judge us. This is why we should hold ourselves to the same standard uh, that we hold others to. It helps guard against a critical heart. So first, we hold your, ourselves to the same standard that we hold others to. And secondly, Jesus says that before we ever judge somebody else, we judge ourselves first, right? Put your own life under the microscope before you zoom in on anyone else. Here's an easy way to remember this principle. Look in the mirror first, or as Jesus says here, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so Jesus is using this ridiculous but very pointed image of somebody trying to perform eye surgery while all the while he's got this uh, huge board sticking out of his own eye, right? So, I mean, I tell you what, don't let that person anywhere near my eyes. Now, Jesus could be exaggerating to make a point here. Uh, his point might not be, well, you're much worse than the other person, so who are you to help them? You see, even a speck in your own eye, when it's in your eye, from your perspective, can seem like a huge plank. And with that speck in your eye, there's no way you can help somebody else remove the, the piece of sawdust in their eye. All right, so, so take care of yourself first. But I remember when I was a kid and my dad was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he had this comic book superhero that he called Logman. And this was old school, all right? We didn't have PowerPoint back then. We had overhead projectors with transparencies, and dad had drawn this comic book character. And I was his remote control. And so as he preached, I followed along with his sermon and I changed the transparencies. And I'll never forget Logman because, you know, he had this giant beam sticking out of both eyes and he wanted to go around taking the speck out of everyone else's eye. So don't let Logman be anywhere near my eye and don't be Logman. I mean, would you hire a mechanic whose own car was a rickety piece of junk that got better fuel mileage than it got oil mileage? When we lived in Kansas, we had a neighbor who lived across the street, and he had a big sign in his front yard, and it said, Leon's Handyman Service. And it listed all of the things that Leon could do. So construction, remodeling, yard work, and so on. The only problem was is that Leon's house was the was the biggest dump in town. And when Leon's family moved, the, the new owners who bought his property had to completely gut the house and start from scratch. You see, nobody hired Leon because it was obvious that he couldn't do for himself what he claimed he could do 
for others. And, and it was this running joke in our little Kansas town. It's so easy to see a problem in other people, yet so difficult to see it in ourselves. This is why no one ever shows up at a protest rally with a sign that says, I am the problem. Right? Human nature always sees the problem starting with the other person. All right? I'm just the victim. It's not my fault. But Jesus teaches us to always look in the mirror first. Number one, hold yourself to the same standard. Number two, judge yourself first. Number three, Jesus says that after we've done one and two, then we can work with the other person to help them. It's hard to look at somebody with a with a critical heart if your heart's desire is to help them. See, Jesus' goal here in these verses isn't to have Christians ignoring each other's problems or pretending they don't exist, all in the name of not judging each other. Nor does Jesus have this vision of believers going around, pointing out each other's faults, you know, to put others in their place. But our Savior's heart here is brothers and sisters in Christ, helping each other to overcome their problems. His goal is that we would be able to see clearly to help out our brother or sister remove the speck from their eye. But I want you to notice that this is a a mutual process. It involves both the one with the speck and the one trying to remove it. And the one helping is like, let me help you. And the other person willingly invites them and, and, and allows them to help. They're active participants in the process. And so we work with them. As the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 6.1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. What Jesus describes here is, is not a judge with a, a gavel in hand ready to pronounce sentence, but he pictures a surgeon, scalpel in hand, ready to help and to heal. And that's how we respond to those who need help. However, there's always going to be those who they don't want our help. Right? They don't mind the speck in their eye, uh, to them, it's not a problem. It's not an issue. It's not a bug. It's a feature. Well, what do we do in that case? How should we handle those who don't want the speck in their eye removed? They don't really have an interest in growing spiritually. Well, that brings us to number four. Don't force your help on those who don't want it. You don't need to condemn them. You don't need to pronounce judgment on them. You don't need to develop a, a critical judgmental heart toward them. Right? You just simply let them be. You let them go. You leave them to their own choices. In verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. What he's saying there is don't waste your time. Don't, don't bother with them. It's not worth your effort. Because if you do, if you try, he says, if you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Right? They'll come after you. So trying to give spiritual truth to those who, who don't care for the truth is like giving sacred treasure to dogs. 
right? And they'll just bury it in the dirt or, or giving precious jewels to pigs, all right? And they'll just wallow with it in the mud. And that's the most benign thing they can do. They might get angry and attack you. You can't help those who don't want help. You can't teach those who don't want to listen. Now, the kind of judging that Jesus condemns here is the kind of judgment that, that forces itself on people. It doesn't ask for help. It doesn't uh, seek willing participation. Um, it manipulates. It forces itself on the other person, whether they want the help or not. So Jesus isn't saying, mind your own business. He does want us to be our brother's keeper, but he wants us to do it in a way that is kind and loving and helpful. So first, make sure that you're living according to the same standard. Right? Don't hold them to a different set of rules. And you look in the mirror first. You judge yourself first. And once you've made sure that, that your own life is in order, then you go to the other person and you try to help them. Right, And that's assuming they want help. But if they don't want to be helped, you can't force them. There comes a point where you have to go your own way and you let them go their own way. Now, you keep loving them, you keep praying for them, but until they want help, you're not going to be able to help them. We need to be very careful before we start pointing the fingers at others. There was a lady that I read about at an airport who had bought a book to read uh, during her day of flying and, and a package of cookies to eat while she waited for her plane. So she took her seat in the terminal and she began to read her book. And then she noticed that there was a man who took a seat, kind of one seat down from her. And then he opened up the package of cookies that she had set on the seat next to her. And he began to eat her cookies. All right, and she couldn't believe uh, the audacity of this complete stranger who would just open her cookies. And so when he took a cookie and ate it, she steamed and she steamed, but she showed him that she was not going to be intimidated. And so she reached into the bag of cookies and took a cookie and ate it. Maybe that would show him that, hey, I noticed what you did. Stop it. But he just reached over and took another cookie. Well, there was no way that she was going to let him eat all of her cookies. So she took another cookie and ate it. And in this way, it went back and forth. He ate a cookie, she ate a cookie. He ate a cookie, she ate a cookie. Until finally it got down to the very last cookie. And that's when the man reached into the bottom of the bag. He took the last cookie. He broke it in half and ate it. And then he glared at the woman and got up and left. Well, the nerve of some people, she thought to herself, how selfish and arrogant can you get? And she kind of muttered under her breath. But soon the announcement came that her flight was boarding. So she took her seat, still hot and bothered. She buckled in. She reached into her purse for a tissue. And that's when she felt her bag of cookies. Thank you. And God bless.